So Holy Spirit, make us new through your word and help us to get closer to Jesus because of it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, happy Father's Day to all of you who are here, those of you who are watching on the podcast. Uh, Of course, you may be watching like a year from now. So happy Father's Day anyway. Uh, One of the most popular movies this year is the Lego movie, which is a kid's movie, but I think it appeals to adults in part because it's funny, but also I think because of its theme. It's about a little Lego man named Emmett who lives in a little Lego town, which an evil villain is going to freeze. But there's this prophecy that someone named the special will stop him. And everyone thinks that Emmett is the special, including Emmett himself. And I think that appeals to us because I think all of us want to be special and experience the special, experience the amazing, the wonderful. None of us want to be called the ordinary, right? I recently heard a a pastor, John Ortberg, say that he and his wife like to think of themselves as high-energy people who live this really interesting life. But he said the best cure for grandiosity is to see yourself the way your kids see you. So recently their kids graduated from college and moved back home, but then moved out again, you know, partly because it's time to be on their own. But what they told their friends was that they moved out because their parents' lifestyle was driving them crazy. They said, all my parents do is come home, eat chicken, watch Jeopardy, and go to bed. John said he was so incensed. He said, besides, it's not true. Sometimes we go hog wild, rebel, and eat beef instead. None of us want to feel ordinary or feel like we're caught in an ordinary life. And that's one reason that we're going to be this summer preaching through the book of Acts. Acts tells the story of how the church, early church started and then exploded around the Mediterranean world. And its name implies action. It's the Acts of the Apostles, not the theology of the Apostles, though there's some good theology in it. And, and, and it's not about the ordinary. It's about the special, the exciting, the amazing. So what I'm going to do this morning is I am going to go through verse by verse the first nine verses of the book of Acts. And along the way, I'm just going to make a bunch of points. Okay, there's just going to be points flying at you left and right, like point per verse. That's like nine points. So all these points, you just pick the one that you like the best to take home with you or the one that seems to fit you for today. Sort of choose your own adventure sermon today. Uh, and if you have a Bible, you may want to read along with me through the, through the verses. The book of Acts was written by Luke, same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And it's very historically accurate. For instance, uh, in one place it describes the death of King Herod in a way that is, very, is, very, is exactly the same as the way Roman historians describe the death of King Herod. At various times, different archaeologists have claimed to have found historical errors in the book of Acts, only to have later research prove them wrong and confirm that Acts had it right all along. It's grounded in history, which is point number one. We experience the special, the extraordinary, in history, in the everyday events of our life. We don't need to be in a special spiritual place or on some kind of special spiritual plane to experience the special or the extraordinary. We experience that in our ordinary, everyday lives. And Acts challenges American consumer Christianity. Because it's about a group of people who were completely sold out for Jesus. They were persecuted, but they didn't retreat. They sold their possessions to care for each other. They put, they put races and classes that had hated each other for centuries into the same community. They were radicals. And because of that, Christianity grew 40% per decade for the first 300 years. It's the church before it became all fat and short of breath through prosperity. And it begs the question, what would happen 
If we follow Jesus with that kind of radical abandon today, how would that make our ordinary lives feel more special, more extraordinary? But, and this is important, this is important, but it's also about how the special happens through ordinary people, which is another one of my points. It happens through ordinary people. The book of Acts is not about super competent disciples always doing the perfect thing. It's actually the opposite. A better name than Acts of the Apostles might be the mistakes of Peter and Paul. Because that's kind of what the book records, which I find good news because all of us mess up. All of us make tons of mistakes. A friend of mine told me that at his church on Mother's Day, the pastor did a sermon about loving our, your mother with honesty, acceptance, and gratitude. And they put those three words up on the screen, which was fine, until someone pointed out that those three words formed the acronym HAG. Not the vibe you're going for on Mother's Day, right? Like that's not what you... Everyone messes up, Christians, non-Christians, we all mess up. What Acts says is that God does the extraordinary, the special, the amazing through ordinary people who mess up all the time. First verse says this, in my former book, Theophilus, former book is the Gospel of Luke. Theophilus is a friend of Luke's. Name means beloved by God or friend of God. Luke writes this to prove to Theophilus that Jesus is who he says he is. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do. That is the key phrase of the entire book of Acts, that Jesus began to do. Kind of amazing, too, because here's we've, here we've gone through four Gospels, right, about Jesus healing cripples, raising from the dead, being raised from the dead himself. But now Luke says, oh, that's just the beginning. That was the warm-up act. There's more. It's sort of like when I preach in other churches, Churches with people who love it when their pastors preach for 45 minutes or more. Godly, holy churches that hang on their pastors every word. That's how much they love their pastors. And here I come along with my 23-minute sermon, and they're like, that's all you got? Like, that's it? Man, it takes, around here it takes our pastors 23 minutes just to clear their throats. Don't you got more? Acts, the book of Acts is Jesus saying to you and to me, but wait, there's more. You ain't seen nothing yet. Those miracles, you thought they were special? I mean, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to do them through you. The even bigger miracle is I'm going to change your heart. Turning water into wine, nothing. That's just rearranging atoms I made in the first place. But to change a human heart, now that's something. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to do the special, the amazing, through you. Then Luke goes on. He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So here's another point. The special, the extraordinary, is found in a personal experience of Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just offer philosophical arguments for his existence, of which there are many good ones, and I give them to you every Easter. The, but the, the convincing proofs that Luke is talking about were personal experiences Jesus had with various people. At the Immerse Conference we did here in March, a man who I'll call Jim heard an audible voice while praying in one of the breakout sessions. Now, Jim's, you gotta know, Jim's kind of an analytical person, not prone to audible voices kind of a person. Well, while everyone was praying, the leader of that seminar was praying for everyone in the room and writing down things that he thought he was hearing from God about each person, not audibly, but just in his thoughts. So afterwards, he handed Jim a card where he'd written down what he'd heard from God about Jim. Turned out to be the exact same thing that Jim had heard in the audible voice. Okay, how can that be a coincidence? That cannot possibly be just a coincidence, right? Out of all the things you could write down on a card, it's the same thing he heard. That made Jim feel special. That the God of the universe had spoken to him, became real through many convincing personal 
experiences. So then Luke goes on. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, and let me pause on that. That's a phrase we don't always understand. It kind of confuses us. That's mostly because our version of Christianity is that Jesus died for your sins so that you could go to heaven. That's just a fraction. That is a small part of what Jesus was about. See, first century Jews were waiting for the kingdom of God. And that had two meanings. One was political, that God, through a Messiah, would break in and kick out the Romans and restore a Jewish state. But a second meaning was more theological, that God would break into history and begin to reverse the effects of the fall, to recreate this world and all of us and bring his kingdom. And Jesus came saying, the kingdom is in your midst. I am it. I am the inbreaking of God. And his resurrection was the first example that God had begun the process of making all things new. That's the kingdom of God. So I want you to keep that in mind because it's going to be important in a few verses. So he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to another point. To experience the extraordinary, the special, the amazing, don't just do something, stand there. See, Jesus says, before you start rushing off to do this and that for me, right, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. Because see, a lot of us, and I go into this category, a lot of us like to just do, right? Don't wait. I like to just do, right? Fire, ready, aim. That's sort of how I like to, like to move. But sometimes we have to be drawn back in order to be released, like a bow and arrow. And Jesus is saying, wait until the Holy Spirit empowers you, then I'm going to release you. Which raises another point. To experience the special, the amazing, we sometimes have to wait on God's timing, God's plan, God's agenda, rather than rush off on our own agenda. Because if we don't, we can make a mess of things. Or, or there may be something that happening that is very special in the moment, but we're missing it because we're not paying attention. We're just rushing off to the next thing. Jim, in the story I told you about at the Immerse Conference, he had to wait. He had to take time out to pray, to listen, to pause. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, but even if I'm physically present, like my mind is wandering, I'm off to the next thing, I'm sort of checked out, not paying attention to what's around me. Last week, my family and I were eating dinner on our deck, you know, back when it was sunny and it looked like summer was actually going to happen back then. We were eating dinner on our deck, and at one point, everyone got up, went inside to get more food all at the same time, except my 11-year-old daughter and me. And about three seconds, like it couldn't have been more than three seconds after everyone had gotten up to go inside to get more food, she said, how come when it's just you and me, there's always this awkward silence? <laughs> what? what? I was going to say something in a minute, right, until you said that awkward thing there. What? I think she was just expecting me to be checked out because I so often am. Sometimes to experience the special, we have to wait Listen, pay attention to right now, because that's where God is showing up. We're just missing it, because we're rushing by. It's like the old spiritual, I'm going to wait when the Spirit says wait. I'm going to move when the Spirit says move. I'm going to sing when the Spirit says sing. Except I'm not going to sing, because that would clear the room, but you get the point. All right, on to verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? To Israel. What is that? What kind of kingdom do you think they're talking about? Their God's kingdom or their own kingdom? It's their political kingdom of Israel that they're interested in. Basically what they're saying is this resurrection stuff is awesome, Jesus. You can't die. That means the Romans can't beat you, so you're going to kick them out, right? How disappointing for Jesus. 
Right? He'd, he'd spent three years teaching them about the kingdom of God. And now all they ask about is their kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, their agenda, their timeline. Jesus is talking about something so much bigger. But we reduce it down to our little goals. Our, you know, help me with this. Get me to there. Get me the promotion. Blah, 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 blah. And the problem with that is then we miss the bigger thing God is doing. We get our little kingdom instead of God's bigger, special, amazing kingdom. God-sized kingdom. So Jesus, you know, you can just see Jesus at this point going, I they, you guys, right? And so he basically says, you know, don't ask. That's above your pay grade, you know. Don't be asking that. But you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power. That's good, right? We like power. Power's good, right? Power naps, power lawnmowers, power point, right? Power's awesome. But it's not political power that Jesus is talking about. It's spiritual power, which is better because, as the Bible says, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers and principalities of this dark world. So here's another point. The reason we can experience the special, the extraordinary, is because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us through his Holy Spirit living inside of us, who empowers us to accomplish God's purposes. Notice I said God's purposes, not ours. So remember back at the beginning when Luke talked about what Jesus began to do, right? He's still doing. That's the point of the book of Acts. It's just now he's doing that through his Holy Spirit living inside of you and me, and we now are his hands and feet to the world. I heard a businessman this week say that when one of his staff comes to him with a problem, he'll listen, and then his response is always, huh, well, no use both of us worrying about this, so let me know how you work that out. And he says at first they're kind of shocked, but that, that they actually end up being kind of grateful because what they're really asking when they bring that problem is, boss, do I have the ball? And what he says to them is, yeah, you have the ball. It's yours. It's yours to do well with. It's yours to mess up. The book of Acts is Jesus saying to us, you've got the ball. Church, you've got the ball. And the good news is we don't have to carry that ball by ourselves. His Holy Spirit equips us and empowers us to do that. He gives us power. That may mean things like miraculous healings. They happen. Good friend of mine not too long ago was miraculously healed of a permanent eye injury the doctor said couldn't be fixed. Or maybe the power to find joy even in hard times. Or power to forgive someone and heal a relationship. All of which are special, non-ordinary kinds of moments. And also power to do one more thing. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. I give you power to be my witnesses. Witnesses, that's kind of a loaded word in our culture, isn't it? Because it conjures images of door-to-door evangelism and, you know, shoving religion down people's throats, and none of us want to be a part of that. Writer Ken Davis talks about a time he got on a bus, and just out of duty, when he sat down, he prayed, okay, Lord, if you want me to talk about you to someone, give me a sign, right? He prays that. A few stops later, a guy got on, sat down next to Ken. After a few minutes, turns to Ken and says, you don't happen to know anything about Jesus, do you? At which point, Ken said, Lord, if you want me to talk to him, confirm that sign. <laughs> Turn the bus into an armadillo, right? That's not what Jesus means when he says, you'll be my witnesses. The actual Greek word is martyrus, from which we get our word martyr. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to die for your faith, but a witness is someone who gives his life to following Jesus in a way that makes Jesus look good. It's doing those things that provoke the question, the answer to which can only be Jesus. It's living in a way that helps people form a right opinion about Jesus. Because you know what? In our culture, Jesus has some bad press, doesn't he? Not because of him, but because he's got a lousy marketing team. Us. 
That's why one of my definitions of evangelism is to leave people confused, right? Wait, I thought being a Christian was this, but you're this, and oh, wow, oh, now my worldview's falling apart, right? It's, li- it's being living mysteries that force people to ask questions that lead them to Jesus because of how we follow Jesus and radically love and serve. And Jesus says we're to do that in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's the basic outline of the book of Acts. It starts with in a little room in Jerusalem, disciples huddled together in fear, and then it, and then it, and then it grows and it ends up with the end of the book, the Apostle Paul in Rome, capital of the known world. And it goes in those concentric circles, right? Jerusalem is just one town. Judea is the province. Samaria, the province, province to the north and the ends of the earth. But it's also more than that. It's also being a witness in the hard place and the easy place. Jerusalem was a hard place to be a witness because there were religious leaders trying to stamp out Christianity. Judea was easier. It's being a witness to people we like and who are, and who are like us and people we maybe don't like at all. Jerusalem was filled with people just like the disciples. Samaria, though, that was where the enemy was. That was where the outsider was. And all of that is hard to do, to be that witness, to be that living mystery that points to Jesus. But when we do it, when we do it, we experience the special, the extraordinary in our everyday lives. And I'll give you a story in just a minute. But let me finish up. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Which brings me to my last point. And that is we experience the special because Jesus is always with us. Which seems like a weird thing to say after reading a verse about how he ascended into heaven. But you see, earlier Jesus said to his disciples, it's for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, his ascension actually creates a closer relationship with him. Because if Jesus were still here physically, we'd still have to leave him sometimes. right? We'd have to go to sleep, we'd have to go to work, all of that. His ascension does not mean he's gone. It means he's here forever through his Holy Spirit living inside of us. St. Augustine put it this way. You ascended into the skies and we turned around grieving only to find you in our hearts. And that means we can experience the special in any moment. Even in ordinary places. Even in very difficult places and painful places, because Jesus is there with us and turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Recently heard a story about a 19-year-old boy named Sean. And one night, he and a friend took some baseball bats, joined up with a local gang, uh, and got into a big fight to settle a score with a rival gang. And one boy in particular was seriously injured. Sean was definitely part of the fight, but he never held a bat, and he never injured anybody. Nevertheless, the other guys in the gang fingered him, told the cops that Sean was the main culprit. And so he was convicted and sent to jail, and the other guys weren't. Didn't feel fair to Sean. Well, the first visitor Sean had in jail was, was from one of the men on his jury named Dave, who drove four hours just to see how Sean was doing. And at that point, Dave was a living mystery to Sean that provoked the question, the answer to which can only be Jesus. Why would you drive four hours to see a guy you set on a jury to convict? Well, over the next seven years, seven years, Dave visited all the time, made that four-hour trek all the time. They talked about Sean's goals after prison, Dave's faith in Jesus, how Sean could cope with the stresses of prison, and Dave became the father that Sean never had and that he desperately needed. And over those seven years, Sean gradually began to change. Well, then one day Dave's wife called Sean to say that Dave was dying of a very fast-growing cancer and he only had a few weeks to live. 
And in those few weeks, Sean and Dave were able to talk on the phone, say to each other what they'd said to each other so many times, I love you. And Dave, uh, Sean was able to thank Dave for all the ways that he had changed his life and all the things that Dave had done for him. Year later, Sean was released from prison three years early for good behavior, and Dave's wife was there to meet him, threw him a big old party, kind of embraced him into their family. And now, Sean is a happy software developer, working in software engineer, loving it. And he also tells his story to help young men, particularly young men in gangs, how to get out of the gangs, and he mentors and pays forward everything that Dave gave to him. Okay, that's not ordinary. That's not how that story normally goes. That's special. Sean was on a trajectory to spend the rest of his life in and out of jail, but something interrupted that trajectory, and that something's name was Dave. But it also changed Dave's life because he got this great father-son relationship with Sean, and he died knowing that God had used him to completely change another person's life. He was a martyr in the sense that he was, a, he was living so radically for Jesus, he helped Sean form a right opinion about Jesus. And he did that with someone he normally wouldn't associate with. He did that in Samaria. And he was about God's bigger kingdom than his small, tiny kingdom. Right? Sit on a jury, convict someone, be done with it. No, he was about what God was doing. And the result was he experienced the special, the amazing, the extraordinary. Now, all that took seven years. It wasn't easy. There were many days Sean wasn't grateful. Many days Sean was very rude. Some of their conversations just seemed routine and ordinary. You do that for seven years, there's a lot of kind of ordinary in that. Dave didn't even get to see the end of the story. But he did get to see Sean change and experience that great father-son relationship. And all of that happened, not in a church, but in a jail, a difficult place, an ordinary place. It happened because Jesus was there and Dave was living out the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Dave. And that's what Jesus does. So tons of points in this sermon. And I don't know which one you need to most apply to your own life. Maybe it's to wait on God's timing for something. Maybe it's to be more radical in the way that you follow Jesus with your time, your money, your relationships. What would that mean for you? Maybe it's to be about God's kingdom, not yours. Maybe it's to show Jesus' love to someone that you don't even like. Or maybe it's just to look to, for, the ex, for the extraordinary, for the amazing, in the oh-so-very-ordinary parts of your everyday life because that's where Jesus shows up most of the time and does his best work. In Shakespeare's play, Macbeth, the title character gives a famous speech. Most of you have probably heard it. Kind of sums up Macbeth's view of life. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps at its petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools away to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player who struts and frets his hour on the stage and is heard from no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Buzzkill, man. Or like, don't invite that guy to your party, right? Where's Macbeth? I don't know, mumbling in the corner about something. I don't know. Don't go over there. He's just depressing, right? Okay, here's the thing. With Jesus, it, it is so not that way. With Jesus, it is not tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And we don't need an exotic vacation or a new toy or a new job or some high-intensity sport to experience the special or the amazing because wherever you are, Jesus is there with you. And not only is he there, he is the mayor of there. He is the Lord of there. He is Lord of our problems, Lord of our victories, Lord of our families, Lord of our jobs and of our schools. He is Lord of all of our disappointments, and he is Lord of all of our dreams. And he is always there saying, 
Or won't you let me invade the oh-so-ordinary parts of your life with the power of my Holy Spirit? And I promise, I promise, you ain't seen nothing yet. So Jesus, thank you that you do that. Thank you that you take what is ordinary and make it special. And Lord, we pray that in our ordinary days this week, ordinary relationships, ordinary jobs, in all of those places, give us eyes to see what you're doing. And help us to experience the extraordinary just in the regular part of our life and point to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.